Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Daily Premier League News and Views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome to Football Social Daily, your seven-day-a-week Premier League podcast. Hit subscribe now to stay in the loop with all the goings-on in the English top flight. And we might be deep into the international break, but there's no shortage of talking points. A legendary former Premier League manager has suggested that the World Cup should move from every four years to every two years. But UEFA are having none of it. Arsene Wenger is the man in question. The ex-Gunners boss and now FIFA executive fancy shaking things up a bit. But will it work? Also, attention, Chelsea and Spurs fans heading to the game at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium later this month. Are you prepared to cycle to the match, munch on some vegan grub and even drink out of cartons, not bottles? Well, that's the plan as the match is hoping to become the first elite net carbon zero football match ever played. More on that shortly and more too on yesterday's developments around the chaos between Brazil and Argentina, which descended into madness with health officials on the pitch and the game suspended. Tottenham have decided to fine the Argentina players involved. Is that the right choice? We'll come on to that in a little bit. But in the meantime, you've definitely made the right choice listening to today's Football Social Daily. Because joining me, Niall McCorn, for punditry duties on the show, the trusty duo of Marley Anderson and Jim Salverson. Good morning, fellas. Good morning, how are you? Do you know what? We've been doing this podcast for close to three years now. And that is the first oi oi I've ever heard anyone say <laughs> on the show. Which is a surprise, seeing as you're a West Ham fan. Maybe it's a new catchphrase. I'm expecting oi oi the next time you're on the show, Jim. Don't let me down. (laughs) Um, One man who I couldn't ever imagine saying oi oi to greet his players uh, to train in every morning would have been Arsene Wenger. That's how we're going to start with the former Arsenal boss. Of course, legendary, managed Arsenal for over two decades, was invincible with them led them to an undefeated Premier League season where they won the title, along with multiple other trophies, including a few FA Cups too. But he now works for FIFA, and he is basically their executive for the next generation of the game, how to future-proof and how to plan ahead for what football is going to look like in the next 20 to 30 years. And Arsene Wenger is a man with plenty of experience in that, which we'll come on to. But his plan is to change the World Cup. We're in the international break now, so it's topical. From four years 
to two years. At the moment, the World Cup takes place every four years. The next one is in 2022 in Qatar, as we've already touched upon on the show this week. But if that changes to two years, I mean, we could see more World Cups. Well, we will see more World Cups. That's the plan from Wenger and FIFA. However, UEFA who of course look after football in Europe, and their president, Alexander Shefran, has rejected the idea. He says it dilutes the tournament. So what camp are you in, Jim? Are you in Camp Wenger or Camp Shefran? Because UEFA seem to think that changing the World Cup to every two years rather than four is going to basically take the gloss off of it a little bit. What's your thoughts? I don't think it's a massive surprise that UEFA are against the plans to play a World Cup every two years because that effectively marginalises their flagship competition, the European Championships, because I don't think you're going to flip to a system where it's either a World Cup or a Euros every year. Or I can't see if the FIFA World Cup went to every other year, I can't see the Euros not reacting by that and going to every other year as well, which means every single summer there would be an international tournament. Mm. It's difficult to judge this one because I think as football fans, and we're all guilty of this time and time again, we're resistant to any kind of change. We don't like things being different, be it VAR coming in, be it the expansion of the World Cup to introduce more teams, whatever it is, we're kind of like, oh, don't fancy that. It's a little bit different. So it's really difficult to look at it from an objective point of view and go, actually, is it a good idea? My objections to it and my instant reaction when I read this was it does dilute the tournament. It doesn't make it as special because it comes around more often. But suddenly there's questions of where do you fit the qualifying in? How does it work? Does that make a more compact season every single season? Do you do away with the Euros? And if you do away with the Euros, does that also mean you have to do away with the other federations competitions. So do you suddenly lose the uh, Copa de America? Or do you lose the African nations? In which case, I think that's a real shame because I think those competitions, and we've talked about expanding the World Cup before to allow more teams access to the competition. Realistically, a lot of those teams don't have a chance of going particularly deep. Whereas in competitions like the European Championships, you usually do get that outside team that gets to maybe the quarterfinals is a bit of a shock and it gives them that slightly that more t- uh, further taste of a major competition. So my feeling is the football calendar is too crowded as it is. Adding a World Cup either means you make that calendar more crowded or you lose some of the other competitions. So that's the question. Are we prepared to lose those other competitions in favour of having a more frequent World Cup? For me, I think it's a no. Chefran says, Marley, that the jewel of the World Cup, this is his quote, is due to its rarity. And Jim's kind of on board with the fact that every four years kind of makes it an occasion and you're building up to it. But do you think it would dilute the World Cup and make it less special if it was every two years rather than four? Yeah, definitely. I I think it's um, it's good that it's every four years. I think if you had loads and loads of chances to, to win the World Cup, it becomes less special. Um you know, there's there's talk about, you know, like cycles in football where a certain team will be good for so long. I think the good thing about a World Cup every four years is it's hard to defend it because the same players you, you had in 2016 might not be as good in 2020 or that a lot of them might have moved on. Um, you've seen it with that Spain team that dominated 2010, 2012. Um, and then by 2018, they, they weren't the side they once were. So, and they've struggled ever since, really. And you've seen it this... Um, this Euros, they, they struggled a little bit as well. So I, I kind of like how it's it's spaced out a bit. You you only get, you know, three World Cups if you're a top player to have a have a real go at it. 
Um, if it was every year, you're talking, you know, ten or twelve, you could you could potentially have a go at. And I think um, I think it just needs to be left as it is. I'm kind of surprised that Wenger um, is the one pushing this sort of thing because he, he usually has his finger on the pulse <laughs> a little bit more with what 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 it comes to when it comes to like new ideas and things like that. I'm kind of surprised that he's come up with an absolute stinker in my opinion. But I feel like in in fifty years time. Or maybe twenty five years time, you know, sort of after our, not after our lifetime, but after you know, like in in the sort of new generation of of fans, I feel like it will eventually move to every year, um, because I feel like that's the way football is going, um, and there's more chance for more money, and there's more chance for a more exclusive club and things like that. So, I feel like it this change is coming, but not right now or any time in the next five or ten years is probably a bit soon. But if you look after that. I feel like it's probably inevitable that it will eventually happen. It does feel like it's a financial decision, doesn't it? Which, as you say, Marley, it's surprising that Arsene Wenger, who's pushed so many great ideas in the past and the what he brought to the Premier League in his time as Arsenal, he changed the game pretty much. And it does feel like this is a purely financial decision. And we do see a lot of financial decisions from FIFA, be it expanding the amount of teams in there, or be it moving the World Cup to every other year. I think my question would be, I mean, World Cups are expensive things to put on. We saw when Brazil held the World Cup in, was it 2014? Yeah. Okay, when, when they held it, I mean, the amount of money that went into the infrastructure there pretty much bankrupted them. And you see that all the stadiums that they built are now crumbling shadows of what they were. Same with the Olympics. So you're putting additional pressure on countries by having them host World Cups anyway and having them get up to speed because you can't just have it in Germany and England and France that already have these facilities every two years it comes around. But by doing that as well, if you're bringing on the World Cup, if you're making it more frequent, surely that lessens the value of it to potential sponsors and investors as well. So there won't be as much money going into these countries and won't be as much money being spent in terms of sponsorship on the World Cup. So not only are you increasing the pressure on countries by making it more frequent and causing them to invest in this infrastructure, but you're potentially reducing the revenue that they can get back as well. It doesn't feel like it makes a lot of sense to me, other than for FIFA, who would obviously benefit. Yeah, I mean, as you say, Wenger is the chief of global football development at FIFA. That's his job title. And you know, some of that genius input he's had in the past that you mentioned changed the Premier League landscape. You went from a talented Arsenal team which had the likes of Tony Adams and Ray Parler who quite liked their luxuries off the field to an Arsenal team which was pretty much drilled and, you know, the first ones to really get their heads around nutrition and sports science and stuff like that. They are holding a feasibility study into the idea. UEFA have said no. I'm sure the other federations will have their input as well. But the World Cup, Marley, has been four years every tournament since the first one took place in 1930. So you say that in the future you think it might be yearly or biannual, which is what the plan is from FIFA at the moment. Do you think it is time to adapt to that new generation of fans? Or is it a case of if it isn't broke, you don't need to fix it? Uh, I, I don't think it's broke. I don't think you need to fix it. Um... I feel like there's enough to satisfy one of these modern football fans that we're talking about. I don't really know what they are, modern football fans, to be honest. But um, they, you know, if you're talking about like instant success, something big on the line every year, I feel like there's enough. There's the Champions League. There's the leagues around the world. Um, there was talk of the 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 Super League, which um, got instantly kiboshed, but I'm sure we'll come back in the future. Um, 
And I, yeah, I, I think there's enough. I I feel like it's not as there's nothing wrong with with the footballing world, in my opinion, in in terms of international competitions. We're also in an age where I think quite a lot of people are supporting club over country. They'd rather see the club win the win a tournament than than um than the country, and we're probably included in that, to be honest. But also, we're now moving into a like a a world where new fans support players rather than teams, which is just bizarre. So what's the point in Come on, Mark Noble <laughs> It's like you know, if if we're going that way, what's the point in putting nations, you know, like every year and trying to make people care about it? I, I feel like it's not going that way. So I don't really think Do you there's... think that then it, it, with that in mind, and this is me definitely playing devil's advocate and being a bit tongue in cheek here, do you think that there is with that thought process in mind the propensity to have a Cristiano Ronaldo All-Stars 11 versus a Messi All-Stars 11 versus a Buffon All-Stars 11 versus a Hazard All-Stars 11. Do you see where I'm going? Do you think we could see like soccer precisely soccer that? Yeah. But, you know, almost like you kind of have like club captains, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo FC is, and, and however many players he wants to play for him. Do you, do you not think we could get to that point at some point down the line, considering, like you say, younger fans or newer fans not necessarily younger, tend to support players rather than clubs. At least that's what the data has shown. And that's reflected in social media where some football stars have more followers than clubs themselves. So do you think that that could be something we see in the future? Or is that me just playing devil's advocate a bit too much? I think you're more likely to see like a footballing version of the IPL where there's an off-season competition, probably in somewhere like China, which features guest teams. It's like an auction for players. Yeah, so it'd be exactly what you want. The the superstars, the big owners would would play in a specific competition that took place in the off-season away from their parent clubs. Now, that Mm. relies on those parent clubs being happy to release players and the potential injuries that they might get during that tournament. But I think that's a very feasible idea because we've seen it work with the IPL haven't we and the players are very keen to be involved because of the I mean, and the wages are very different in cricket than they are in football but yeah. the players are very keen to be involved because of the additional revenue and the additional income it brings them and the clubs don't mind either because it's mm. helping populate the fan base over there so they might follow a Joss Butler or whatever and decide right I like him I'm going to start watching Lanks or buy a Lancashire shirt in my Indian village or whatever it is. So it kind of everyone wins in that. Football's a little bit more global, but you can certainly see something like that popping up. It's franchise football, isn't it? Which is a sort of a shuddering thought to think that football <laughs> could be franchised. But I think Marley's probably right. We are kind of heading towards that way. From an England perspective, then Gareth Southgate has said he's actually open minded about these proposals. I guess it's because he's the manager and there's a better chance to win more silverware because he's got a good crop of players at the moment. And if the World Cup moved to two years, it would give managers a better chance of being successful at international level rather than waiting four years. Because some could argue, Marley, that that four year gap is why we don't see many World Cup title defences, if any, over the years. There's been very, very few. Yeah, I think that's one of the the sort of things of it you know I mentioned before you, it's hard to dominate when you've you you sort of team cycle changes quite a lot in four years you think if somebody's in the team at 29 are they gonna still be in the team at 33 when the next one rolls around so I feel like that's probably a, a big a big um part of why teams find it so hard to to uh, to win things you look at England won it in 66 and didn't come anywhere near ever for the next 24 years until um 
1990 or 34 years, whatever it w- would be. So, you know, it's took them it took them years, and other countries are like that as well. You know, Italy haven't won anything for a long time since 2004, I think it was, or 2000, and you know, we're we're talking 21 years since then since they won the Euros this summer. So, you know, it's it's um it's one of the niche little things of international football. I, I quite like it. You have to stitch a team together quickly. You have to, you know, get a manager who can get the best out of them in a short period of time and, you know, pick the best players in the right systems and all that. It's it's a, it's a very unique um, sort of competition. And for it to be every four years is, in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with it. There's enough international football um, going ahead every two years is fine. The Nations League, I still think, is underrated. I still think it's a decent competition um, to, to fill in the... Um, the pointless friendlies and all the rest of it. So I don't think international football is struggling at all, really. Do you know what, lads? I think that counts for Football Social Daily agrees with UEFA. That is uh, a rare one. That's one for the collector's <laughs> items, definitely. Let's be honest, UEFA are only coming up with this. They're only fuming with it because they didn't come up with it first. They'd, they'd be backing it to the hill, wouldn't they? If, if they come up with it first, if it was Kefrin's little brainchild... They'd be, uh, they'd be all over it. <laughs> a World Cup, but with only European team. Oh, wait, we've already got that. That sounds like something <laughs> UEFA would come up with. Um, that's Arsene Wenger's plan as the global football development head at FIFA. A biennial World Cup. Is it something that tickles your fancy? Let us know at the Sports Social on Twitter. It's at Sports Social Official on Instagram and on Facebook. If you just tap into the search bar Sports Social, you'll be able to find our page there. Time for a quick break now here on Football Social Daily. And we've got some more interesting ideas to go across next involving a Premier League match between Chelsea and Spurs taking place later this month. We'll discuss more after this here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily, the daily Premier League podcast from Sports Social. And Sports Social has a podcast network. If you didn't know already, then I'm about to tell you. If you head over to the website, sport-social.co.uk, and you hit the podcast tab, there is an array of different podcasts from all different sports. And there's loads of stuff there that might tickle your fancy, whether it's wrestling or speedway or snooker or even more football content. You can find it all there. So make sure you head over there and check it out if you fancy something different to listen to when you're not listening to Football Social Daily. Time to talk about Chelsea against Spurs. That's a game taking place not this weekend, but in a couple of weeks' time. The reason we're talking about it so early is because it's come out in the news that this game is aiming to be the first ever net zero carbon football match. Now, if you're not sure what that means, net zero carbon emissions are when the emissions produced to put the match on, for example, fans getting to the ground in their car or by bus or the amount of energy the stadium uses through floodlights and producing food and drink and stuff like that are reduced as much as they possibly can be and then any remaining energy released into the atmosphere from putting the match on is then offset through other causes like for instance natural projects by planting trees or exploring methods of renewable energy and stuff like that. And it might come as a shock to you, Jim, but carbon emissions aren't exactly what fans think about when they go to matches, is it? So how do you see this? Who in your own personal life has made a bit of a change to help the environment? I think, you know, you became a vegetarian a couple of years ago. I think it's a positive initiative, but I don't expect, you know, 50,000 of the 60,000 going to the game to 
to basically be on board with this. I mean, the whole point in this is it's a little bit tokenistic what Chelsea and Spurs are doing, but at the same time, it's putting a really important issue on the agenda that needs more everyday people considering what is happening. So we've gone from a climate emergency over the last couple of years to a climate crisis. And we really are standing. I'm getting on my high horse now. Hang on. Let me just let me just get, get right up here. Yeah, we're getting into a stage where people do need to start considering the uh, lifestyle choices they are making and the impact that has on the environment. And I don't think the warnings that we're getting at the moment and the global events we're seeing are really doing the job in terms of putting it on people's agenda and the differences they can make. So I think it's an important thing Chelsea and Spurs are doing. In terms of it being one football match, it's a little bit nonsensical. It doesn't really make a difference. The whole idea of carbon offsetting is also a little bit of a nonsense. It's a really nice thing to be doing, but it's not an exact science. I mean, it's calculated by things like the amount of carbon a tree absorbs over the course of its lifetime but there's no guarantee that that tree stays there for its lifetime and there's no mm. guarantee that when it's cut down or if it's a forest fire whatever it is there's carbon release so it's, it's a bit it's, wishy-washy isn't it, it is a little bit but at the same time it's still better than doing nothing so i agree with you yeah. most football going fans aren't thinking about their carbon footprint when they go and have a few beers before a game get to the game eat their pie get mm. the bus home whatever it is but 100 percent, it should be something we are all thinking of and by tapping into an event that is so culturally embedded like a football match that is so much part of our everyday lives you're causing people to kind of take mm. a step back and going should i be doing something different here can i be behaving differently i think it's an important message to get across so the event itself whatever it's kind of a nice thing go and look at forest green rovers they've been doing it for years but at the same yes. time it's it's an important message to get out there and football is a great way of communicating these social messages and also a brand new billion pound stadium i think is pretty conducive to zero net carbon actually um i think it would have been built with that in mind but as jim says football is a bit of a release marley it's a hobby for fans it's a chance for them to let their hair down at the weekend after you know they've had a week's work they can go on a saturday afternoon have a few beers have a pie buy a program sit in the stands cheer on their team win or lose so do you think that people will take this proposal on board because it is just one game uh, and despite its good intentions i think we will see a few people turning their noses up at this um i'm i'm not really sure i, I can't see you know, like the the traditional sort of football going, football loving fan getting involved with this for the for the long term. I feel like it's just something which is good because it shows it can be done. Um, I feel like it's only a matter of time. You know, sort of the way the world's going when some sort of authority comes in and says and points a finger at football and says, you know, that's not very good for the environment, and it'll get support as well because I feel like politically football's an easy target because you've got the the stereotype of how people um how people view it um and then i think when the world gets a bit more greener i think they become an obvious target because they're the beer drinking littering shouting swearing sort of fans that that they have that stigma of and i feel like it's something that will be in uh, like paint a target on your own back sort of thing so I think with, with things like this, it, it's proven, you know, as, as Jim mentioned, you've got clubs like Forest Green that have been doing this for for a while. Um, it would help if they were, they were at a bit slightly higher level. I know they're in the Football League and stuff now, but, you know, it, it would help if more teams did this because um, it's probably the way the world's going again. You know, we mentioned FIFA not getting what they want this time. It doesn't seem, but 
just in the in the first part of the podcast and now we're talking about something that which isn't gonna come in right now but probably will come in in the future that that things will start getting leveled at football that they're not doing their part for the environment and 50,000 fans on on a Saturday and a Wednesday every week is not necessarily good for for travel and emissions and and um, pollution and all the rest of it so it's good good to see that this can be done as Jim mentioned I don't know how you uh, how you ever prove that it was carbon negative or or net zero or whatever but you know, at least it's something to like a starting point, basically, to show that there is more that can be done, and it's not that hard to do it. I think football has to be really careful as to where they're pointing the finger as well from this point of view. So for this match, and I'm a bit sketchy on what the exact details are, but where exactly are people being asked to make inverted commas sacrifices? So is it that they want fans to get public transport? To the game is it they want them to consume vegan food at half time but then how far up the chain does that count because if you're asking a punter to hospitality <laughs> yeah exactly i mean where are the prawns coming from in those prawn sandwiches exactly. are they are they being sourced in the right place sustainably atlantic sourced yeah. prawns yeah are executives still being flown in from the far-flung corners of the world to watch the game in the spurs director's box or whatever it is where what, what's happening mm. to roman abramovich the money that's funding chelsea that's coming from a fossil <laughs> from fossil yeah. fuel sources exactly I mean, it's kind of like you've got a question where the where, where who you're actually asking to make the change and it can't just be the person in the stands it has to be a top-down approach so everyone has to make that effort and make that impact that is pretty funny actually that chelsea are involved <laughs> and they're bankrolled yeah. by a, a gas a gas billionaire that is that is quite funny um but actually some of the changes like you say that you're up that, that fans are being asked to make um, effectively it's cycled to the game where you can and there will be more vegan food on offer at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium so if you get the chance to make a vegan choice maybe you should totally understand that tell you what it's going to be a, a bike thief's uh, paradise isn't it that, that place Christ. <laughs> I definitely think that some of the initiatives that are being touted for this game should just be happening anyway so water that the players drink will be from cartons rather than bottles why isn't that happening anyway if that's a possibility you know why is this a special one-off thing? It's it's not it's not a great hindrance to drink from a carton rather than a bottle. Um, obviously, more vegan food, as I said, and the team buses that take in Chelsea and Spurs to the stadium will be running off of biofuel. And that's just some of the ideas. Why aren't team buses running off biofuel anyway? They only take players from their hotel to the to the ground. So it's just one of them things where you just wonder. You know, these are small changes that sound like a big deal but actually Jim some of these things should just be happening anyway like the water bottle example yeah and I think some clubs are making inroads in these areas we saw Manchester City a couple of weeks ago launch their edible coffee cups which yes. was a little bit of a gimmick at the time oh I love a good coffee cup in the morning apparently, apparently they taste like <laughs> ice cream one of those. cones which I think sounds quite nice <laughs> and so they've, they've launched that and oh, that's wow. kind of an attempt to reduce waste from their coffee cups which i think it's a nice idea again it's a bit of a gimmick but it's all about changing the way people think about stuff yeah. so you might have a chelsea fan who turns up to the game who instead of having his normal chicken tikka balti pie has like a soya mince and onion pie or something like that and instead suddenly goes oh this is all right maybe i could change my diet to five days a week i eat vegetarian food two days a week i eat meat and that's kind of like quite a substantial change for someone to make but because he's been kind of forced into accepting that as part of his experience almost it then changes the way his life continues from that on and i mean no one should be making any 
decisions or making any choices because, unless they want to fundamentally it's got to be driven out of a genuine concern for what you are doing and genuine desire as well and people will get angry about this because people do get angry when they feel like they're forced into doing something that they don't necessarily believe in but it's important that clubs do make these efforts and like you say things like reducing waste things like offering vegetarian and vegan alternatives looking at different ways to provide energy to a football club be i mean you've got these massive structures right the way around the uk you've got floodlights i'm sure there's something you could do in terms of wind turbines on floodlights or something along those lines it's just a little bit of creative thinking unfortunately we're in a situation where all this stuff so you mentioned biofuel buses it takes investment in order to make that switch from what you were doing to what you will be doing thankfully football is one of the places that's pretty cash rich rich in, if it wants to invest money, it will invest money. It's just, just, it's just making football want to invest that money in something that is good for society, as opposed to being good for them as a business. Can you tell us the international break, by the way? Talking about (laughs) (laughs) degradable coffee coffee cups, edible coffee cups. There's bound to be a scandal with those coffee cups as well. They're going to be made with badger's pancreas or something. There's going to be some sort of scandal, you know, like the horse meat situation from a few years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The conspiracy theories are rife. Um, Chelsea against Spurs on the 19th of September is aiming to be the first ever net zero carbon football match. Of course, it will be the first elite and the first Premier League football match to go net carbon zero as well. So we look forward to seeing how that goes. And we're going to stick on the Tottenham theme next because they're set to find two of their players after the disaster that was Argentina against Brazil a couple of days ago. We'll talk about it next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. This is Football Social Daily. My name's Niall. Jim Salverson, Marley Anderson are with me and time to talk about Tottenham Hotspur. We spoke about their desire to make their game against Chelsea carbon net zero in the Premier League fixture in a couple of weeks. Now we have some more urgent matters at hand, let's just say, from their perspective on the field. And that's that they're set to find two of their players, Lo Celso and Romero, for travelling to play for Argentina against Tottenham club rules. Of course, they travelled to Brazil to take part in a World Cup qualifier. The game, which we discussed yesterday, was suspended after just four minutes when Brazilian health authorities came onto the pitch and arrested four Argentinian players for failing to abide by the country's quarantine rules. Not only are those Argentine players basically embarrassed or they've they've been shown up in front of the world for this issue that's taken place, they're now going to be fined by their employers, Tottenham Hotspur. Is that harsh or fair, do you think, Marley? Because at the end of the day, Tottenham are the employers of Lo Celso and Romero and they disobeyed the club rules yeah if you if you break club rules you you get a fine and you deserve a fine so no real um i mean we don't know the exact sort of details of this but if it's as cut and dry of we told you not to go and you went you've got you've not got a leg to stand on when you come back and you get deported and you get arrested by the uh, brazilian authorities that came on and you know marched you off like uh like the big men they were but they were right to do it so if you went without permission somewhere, whether it's, you know, out to the park with your friends when you're 10 years old or whether you go to another country with your football 
um, federation when you're a professional footballer, then you deserve to be punished. So that is, for me, that's fair enough. They they disobeyed rules. They should be uh, expect to be fined for it. And, you know, as we know, fines don't really do anything when you're a multimillionaire. So what's the, what's the issue? Pay the fine and shut up and don't do it again. Who are Tottenham, Jim, to ban players from playing for their national team? I mean, that's choppy waters, isn't it? Telling players whether they can or can't represent their country. It's a bit different to, you know, to vetoing them representing a Sunday league side mm. when they're employed by the club. You know, it's, it's not quite in that ballpark. But certainly, I, I think we're in a sort of grey area here with this. It is a little bit of a dodgy area, but we are in exceptional circumstances as well. It's like, as we, we said the other day when we were talking about the scheduling of these World Cup qualifiers, it's not a normal world we're living in at the moment. This isn't just one of your players flying for a week to the other side of the world to play in the competition. This is flying to the other side of the world with the risk of them catching serious illness or being unavailable due to quarantine. So I think clubs are allowed to take extraordinary steps under these circumstances. As Marley says, we don't quite know what the fines are for at this stage. We don't know whether it was they weren't allowed to fly out at all or whether the club expected them to have more personal responsibility if it's the, the latter's the case, then surely Spurs should have done their due diligence in terms of who Argentina were playing and the quarantine rules that would be around that and how long that would take a player out of action for. But I kind of think in these circumstances, and they are exceptional, I think the clubs are allowed to stop players playing international football if it means it's going to prevent them from doing their job in the long run. Because they are their employers. If someone's flying out to Argentina or Azerbaijan or Russia or wherever it is the game happens to be. And that means they're going to have to take part in a 14 day or 10 day quarantine that's going to make them unavailable for the next match. Then surely Spurs are perfectly within their rights to then find the player because that player has made themselves unavailable for the match that they would have earned the money for in the first place. So I think it kind mm. of makes perfect sense. And I think it, the, the more concerning thing for me is the relationships between the clubs and the players because they should be able to negotiate and they should be able to be on the same page with this stuff. There should be an open dialogue between the players and the manager and the DOF or whoever it is that decides whether they're allowed to go or not and they should be able to come to an amicable agreement as to what that looks like. And if they can't... Are Tottenham just setting a precedent though, Jim? They're just finding these players, La Celso and Romero, to effectively say, like Marley says, don't break the rules. Don't even think about travelling to play for your country when it's against our rules. Otherwise, we'll find you. Because if they didn't, that would then, you know, set a precedent the other way. And basically, players would just think, well, you didn't find those two, so you can't find me. Yeah, and it probably does. And I think that's a bit sad because these it, it surely this kind of scenario requires people to work together rather than against each other. It shouldn't be about laying down rules and then those rules being broken. There should be understandings in place way before you even get to the game itself. And the, the potential is for these players to do something they've not been told to. I mean, it's, it's immature on both fronts, really, isn't it? You shouldn't have people who are at the age of Lacelso and Romero breaking rules and going against what their club said or going against their employer. But at the same time, there needs to be a bit of maturity from the Tottenham board's point of view in order to understand the desire of these players. And we talked recently about how football, international football, is more important in countries like South America. They have a deep-rooted desire to play and represent their country on a national level. So there has to be an understanding from both sides. And at the end of the day, do you know what? Spurs can do without Lacelso and Romero. 
if it means they've got a quarantine for 10 days, that's not going to make a huge amount to how their next few games are going to pan out. No, but Aston Villa have decided against finding their players who are involved, Emi Martinez and Emi Buendia. They didn't refuse to release both players. They actually allowed them to go. But the chief executive, Christian Perslow, who I think is quite refreshing, or at least has been this summer, especially over the Grealish stuff, Marley, as well. He's just basically asked for a resolution to the issues before the October international break. Because, like I said the other day, this could happen over and over and over again. It's fair enough for Perslow, isn't it? Not finding his players and also asking for there for their just to be a resolution to the situation. Uh, yeah, seems, seems like it, because... You know, from what we know, he he sent um, he sent the the two players away. I mean, they're, they're new to the Argentina team, aren't they? Buendia and, and Martinez have not got many caps. Um, Martinez has just become sort of number one goalkeeper. It's very important for him to to go and carry on sort of the the, the huge steep upward trajectory his career has taken in the last two or three years. So he's um, it it was sort of good to see them. Like it, they're in a different situation. Spurs weren't allowed to go, and Villa players were, which is why you know you're not going to see Villa players come down on their players as hard as Spurs might. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of like it. I mean, Perzel has probably hit the nail on the head with the fact that we've got to do something to um, to to um, reconcile this because you know we can't both have what we want. We can't have our players every week. We can't have them uh, missing games because they're quarantining. Um, and things like that so it's probably he's probably trying to just speed up the process of you know is there not another way we can do this where everybody gets to be happy um, whether it's more testing or uh, whatever if it's vaccines if it's neutral stadiums or whatever it might be the, the, there will be a solution there I just don't really think many players uh, many sort of uh, parties are, are looking hard enough to find it right now I mean, what is the resolution? That's the problem, isn't it? He's asking for a resolution. He's asking for the issues to be sorted. What? Are, how can you possibly do that when you're in a situation where you don't know what the quarantine periods are going to be, even over the period of the international break, over those 10, 14 days, the quarantine period can change twice because it's reviewed on a weekly basis. So either you go, well, only domestic players can play, but then you've still got the issue of players moving into other countries because the games have to be hosted somewhere. So I don't really see it's possible to have a resolution to the issues that are, that are being called for, which is a shame because you're right, it's going to overshadow the international breaks until COVID-19 is no longer a thing. And we're years off that happening. It's not going to happen in my opinion, but there we go. I mean, certainly that's the issue in South America at the moment. No such issues or at least nowhere near as serious with UEFA and the European World Cup qualifiers of which England are involved again tomorrow. They take on Poland in Warsaw. We'll have full preview of that on tomorrow's Football Social Daily, but that'll do us for today's episode. Thanks very much, Jim. Thank you, Marley. Don't forget to hit subscribe. That way you won't miss an episode of the podcast again, back with full previews and reviews of the weekend's Premier League action on the return of the top flight after the international break. Could we see Cristiano Ronaldo making his second Premier League debut? We'll talk about it all later on this week, but that's it for today's Football Social Daily, and we'll catch you again next time. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.